Quick, quick, it's about to get boring. Go, go. Oh, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Wow. Uh, I think imagine, I can imagine some of you, this might be your first outing of the week. Some of you <laughs> have been trapped all inside all week. It's been quite a ride we've all been on. And uh, we didn't get to be together last week, but I was thrilled when uh, Pastor Dean asked, hey, I, I'm not feeling well, and I would love it if you could just move that message right on to the next week. So uh, I'm glad I didn't, get a, I didn't have to miss an opportunity to, to be with you guys. Uh, so with all of the snow that's been on the ground, all of the ice that we've had in this winter wonderland that we've all been in, uh, I wonder if it's okay, if it's, uh, if it's not too late, to use a Christmas movie to introduce today's message. Uh, hopefully, oh yeah, yeah, I get some chuckles. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, is, and the movie I have in mind is uh, Home Alone. Now, this is not the uh, pinnacle of cinematic greatness, I, I grant you that. Uh, but if you're from at least my generation, whether you like the movie or hate the movie, you've probably seen it about a hundred times. Uh, and for those of you who have managed to avoid this cinematic marvel, uh, let me recap just the, what, what the movie's all about. So it begins with uh, little Kevin. He's eight years old, and somehow or another, he gets left behind while the whole rest of his family flies to Paris for Christmas. Uh, now, as absurd as that might be, just roll with me here. Um, and so he, uh, not only has he been left alone, he is, uh, he, there's some serial burglars that have scoped out his house and they've targeted, they know the family's going to be on vacation and they're coming for uh, the house as soon as the family's gone. And so little Kevin, he hears the burglars at the back door. And this is the moment I want to zero in on. He hears the burglars at the back door, gets startled and smartly runs through the house, turns on every light he can find and then bolts upstairs and hides under the bed. Now, his little trick of turning on the lights, they work. And everybody leaves, uh, the, the burglars get spooked, they get in their van, they drive away. And little Kevin decides, you know what, it's kind of silly to be hiding under the bed like this. In fact, I'm the man of the house now. I can't be afraid. And so he steps outside of his house and he shouts for all the world to hear, I'm not afraid anymore. That is until he sees his recluse of a neighbor standing there with a snow shovel and remembers all the rumors about how this guy probably killed his entire family. So he bolts back into the house, he runs upstairs, and he hides under the covers quick as he can. Now, as funny as this is in the movie, I think it taps into something that we've all experienced, and that is that hiding under the covers experience. I was talking with a friend recently who himself, like he can vividly remember the need to run as fast as he can through his door, jump into the bed, cover himself with the covers, because only then would he be safe, right? Only then would the monsters go away. And some of us can even remember what that felt like, right? Laying in bed, death grip on the covers, trying to still your breathing so that you could listen for any sound of the monsters in the corner or being afraid to even touch your foot on the floor lest the monsters creep out from under your bed and grab you, right? We know that feeling. And before we dismiss that as just the fancies of childhood, let me suggest that the fears never really went away. 
They just changed shape. Instead of being afraid of the dark, we're now afraid to be alone. Instead of being afraid of the boogeyman, we're afraid of real people with real intent to do us real harm. And, if, and instead of being afraid of monsters, we're afraid of things like cancer, financial trouble, pandemics, car accidents, or even the threat of war. We're still afraid, and we're still looking for some covers to hide under. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers will be coming by with Bibles. Just raise your hand. They'll be happy to hand you one. In addition, um, I'm going to have the NIV version of this on the screens behind me. Psalm 91 may be familiar to you. It is a psalm that has been prayed by Christians throughout the centuries. It is a go-to psalm for uh, Christians to read through and pray through over and over and over again. And it's a great psalm for us to take a moment and, and take a look at and figure out what are we going to do with the very real fears that we still have. So Psalm 91 starts like this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that, start, that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Will you pray with me? Amen. God, thank you that you are a true shelter that we can rely on. God, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at with all of our fears, with all of our moment in time. Please comfort us. Show us your goodness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Naive. Naive is defined as having or showing a lack of experience, judgment, or information. Another word might be credulous. We might even substitute ignorant, innocent, simple, unsophisticated, maybe even gullible or a patsy. To be naive is to be just like the little eight-year-old boy who still believes that the covers are going to save him. And in our society, being naive, being uneducated is frowned upon. 
We're supposed to be from an advanced society. We're supposed to know better now. We're not supposed to believe in things like miracles or some unseen God. And so we bring these cultural values with us and we come to a text like this and we have a little bit of suspicion because this text makes some really, really bold claims. In fact, look at the very heart of the text in verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Really? How many of you, even though you have followed Jesus for many years, have still experienced harm? (laughs) Right? How many of you can say with absolute certainty, this is how life works? We have a little bit of suspicion about this text. What is really going on? It doesn't seem to fit our experience. And even worse than that, it doesn't even seem to fit the, the, the story of Scripture. We see time and time and time again how people who are faithful to God experience suffering and hardship and horrible stuff. But it gets even worse. This doesn't even seem to fit the context for this psalm. Now that might seem like a silly thing to say because most of us read psalms as though they're independent chunks of Scripture. That there is no context. Or if there is a context, it, it's in the little heading above the psalm that says, hey, this is who wrote it and this is when it was written or why it was written. But there are many who would say that the book of Psalms is actually compiled with a lot of intentionality. And in fact, the book is divided into five different books. And Psalm 91 doesn't have its own little heading. So some people would say that you need to read Psalm 91 in light of Psalm 90 that does have like a little heading that shows what this psalm is all about. But even more than that, Psalm 90 begins book four of the collection of psalms. Now book three has asked some really hard questions. Things like, where are you, God, in the midst of suffering? How long do I have to endure this? How long is this going to go on? I thought you cared about me. Where are you? And then we begin in book four of the Psalms with Psalm 90, and it picks up some of those same themes. I don't want to read all of Psalm 90, but I do want to read just a couple of verses here. Psalm 90, verse 7. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Verse 11. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. This is talking about real suffering. Now, it happens in Psalm 90 that it's the context of suffering punishment from God. But we know that's not the only type of suffering that we all endure. And so what are we to do with the outsized promises of Psalm 91? Before we get there, I want to turn to another passage of Scripture. If you would, turn over to Luke chapter 4. Many of you, as we even read the text, knew exactly where we might be going next. Right? Because many of us know our New Testaments a little bit better than we know our Old Testaments. And when we read 
something in the Old Testament that happens to be quoted in the New, we go, oh, wait, I know where that was quoted. And sometimes we can even tell you the context or the story in which it was quoted. So some of you already know that we're about to look at the temptation of Jesus. But for Luke's original audience, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have Luke's gospel. Their very first exposure to this, when they heard it, they would have thought, ah, Satan is quoting Psalm 91 to Jesus. So let's take a look. Luke 4, starting in verse 9. The devil led him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days with nobody to take care of him, no food to sustain him. He had been alone preparing for a really hard life of ministry. In fact, he was preparing to live to go through that hard life of ministry that he knew would only end in death. And so as Jesus was tired from all of his fasting and all of his time spent in the wilderness alone, Satan came to him with the promises of Psalm 91. Jesus was preparing for a cross-shaped life and a cross-shaped death. And Satan said, do you really have to go through all of that? I mean, look at the promises of Psalm 91. Just throw yourself down from here. God's going to take care of you. God's going to save you from any trouble you'll ever experience in this life. You don't have to go through all that. In fact, aren't you the son of God? Doesn't God love you? Aren't you his one and only beloved son? Why would he put you through all of that suffering? Just jump off right here and make him prove his love to you. And Jesus quoted a bit of the Old Testament himself. So verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus refused to let any one situation be a litmus test for whether or not God truly loved him. Jesus refused to circumvent a life of suffering just because of the misapplication of some passage of the Old Testament. He knew that suffering was still part of the plan, despite these promises. So if Jesus would take this and go on to live a cross-shaped life and to die a cross-shaped death, what does this mean for us? What does it mean if Jesus didn't use this as a get-out-of-suffering-free card? What does it mean for us? So let's go back. Psalm 90, sorry, excuse me, Psalm 91. I don't want to go line by line or verse by verse. I just want to point out a few things about Psalm 91. First of all, there are three persons in this psalm. The first is the speaker. Now, that person isn't named. It's just somebody that stood up and had a testimony to share. Let's read the very first two verses of Psalm 91. This is the testimony of the speaker. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So there's your first person in this psalm, this mysterious I that stood up and had something to say. 
Second person in this psalm is you, the person to whom the I is speaking. The rest of the psalm is going to go on to make some really strong promises to you, whoever that is. And the other speaker in this, the other person in this psalm is God. He's the only one that's named. So let's take a look at some of the promises, the beautiful language and the beautiful promises that this speaker stands up and gives to you. Verse 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He will cover you with his feathers. This is beautiful imagery. This is the mother hen that has tucked her chicks under her wing, right? This is the, we might even think of a mother comforting a child in the middle of a thunderstorm, a child that's just snuggled up as close as they could possibly be. This is true safety in the midst of a storm. He will cover you with his feathers. But it's not just a felt safety. This is real safety. This is the mother, the mother hen that is on guard and on duty to really provide protection for those chicks, right? In this respect, we might think of maybe the Secret Service protecting the president, standing between the president and danger. This is what it means for God to cover us with his feathers and under his wings we take refuge. This is the picture of ultimate safety. Ultimate safety is found in the ultimate shelter. So if we take these verses in light of the rest of Scripture, clearly it cannot mean that no harm will ever come to us. We will endure harm in this world. So what does it mean? It means that that harm will not have the final say. Cancer is not going to have the final say. Financial trouble is not going to have the final say. Pandemics, car accidents, not even war or death will have the final say. The context of this psalm is Psalm 90, where we endure real suffering. And then we look at Psalm 91, and some person of faith stands up and says, I will put my hope in the Lord. He will be my shelter. And we need that testimony. I've heard it said that to share your testimony means to lend somebody your faith. And I've also heard it said that to listen to somebody's testimony means to borrow their faith. And maybe you're at a place right now where you could use a little bit of extra faith. Maybe you have used up all the faith that you have, and you are asking God, how long, O Lord? Really, seriously, how long is this going to last? And how long before you send your angels to protect me and deliver me from all of this pain? How long? So if I can... For just a moment, let me share, you part, share with you part of my story. This, is, this, this story has no miracles. It has no heroes. It's just a moment in time where our family desperately needed to call on the Lord and find refuge in Him. 
In March of 2009, our family had a lot going on. I had just started the month before in a two-year-long training process to become a 911 dispatcher. And we had three small kids at home. Uh, Our kids were five years old, two and a half years old, and four months. And that's the precise moment in which we learned that Shelly's mom had been diagnosed with cancer. So we knew that uh, she, being a widow, living alone, should not go through chemotherapy on her own. So we invited her to live with us. And for the next 22 months, we balanced caregiving, doctor's appointments, the irritation of having a mother-slash-mother-in-law live in your home 24 hours a day, with having three small kids and a really stressful job. And I wish I could tell you that there was no suffering, that it was all easygoing, and that I wish I could tell you that God stepped in and did an absolute miracle and healed Shelley's mom. But the reality is that shortly after she was diagnosed with cancer, she was also diagnosed with liver disease. And these two things counteracted one another because chemotherapy drugs are processed through the liver. And a cancer patient is ineligible for a liver transplant. We literally could not treat either of her ailments. And so she moved in with us in March 2009, and she never went back home. 22 months later, she died. And our kids suffered a loss that they could barely understand. My wife lost her last living parent. And to this day, we mourn all that we lost that day. But we would say it then and we will say it now, the Lord was our refuge. We depended on him throughout every bit of that. The way that he met us and provided for us in the midst of the hard was so rich. He gave us good quality friends to draw on. He gave us a great small group that provided all sorts of support and care. And he met us in the midst of our prayers. When all of our prayer could just, our prayer consisted of nothing but, God, this stinks. I don't know. I need you. And he met us there and he answered those prayers. I mentioned before that Psalm 91 needs to be read in the context of the suffering in Psalm 90. But that's only half the story. In fact, I read one scholar who believes that Psalm 90, Psalm 91, and Psalm 92 should all be read together. So I want to turn to a couple of passages just in Psalm 92 to give you a vision of where this is going. Because ultimate safety is found in the ultimate shelter. And this, Psalm 92, shows it. Psalm 92 is a vision for what's coming in the end when everybody's shelter is going to be put to the test. And those who depended on the Lord are going to be rewarded for their faith and their trust. And those who chose alternative shelters and chose to remain enemies of God will find out how poor of a choice that really was. So let me read just a couple of verses in Psalm 92. Psalm 92, 9, For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish, all evildoers will will be scattered. Skip on down to verse 12. 
The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. There's going to come a day when the time for choosing your shelter is going to come to an end. And just like a child hears off in the distance, ready or not, here I come, every hiding place is going to be put to the test. And those who have chosen the Lord as their hiding place will rest. Hear that word, they will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Even as all of the other lesser hiding places fall to the ground. Even if 10,000 fall at your right hand, no harm will come to you. This is the promise that God gives us because ultimate safety is found in the ultimate shelter. I mentioned before that there are three voices in this psalm. The I, the I that stands up in the middle of suffering, the, the I that says, I will put my faith in Jesus. I will put my faith in the Lord. He will be my refuge. And the eye that speaks to you, whoever you is, and says, these blessings are for you. Let me speak them to you. And then the third voice. The third voice is God's. God's voice ends this psalm. So as we read, starting in verse 14, I want you to hear these words as though God were speaking them directly to you. Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What's going to have the final say? In the end, when all of our shelters are put to the test, all of our hiding places are tried, what's going to have the final say? Through the safety and security of the Lord, safety is going to have the final say. Security is going to have the final say. Soothing is going to have the final say. And salvation is going to have the final say. So I have two challenges for you. The first is whatever fear or actual pain you might be enduring right now. If you're tempted to seek a lesser shelter, let me ask you to reconsider. Put your faith in the Lord. Know that his shelter is true and his salvation is assured. And my second challenge is this. Share your testimony. You never know who needs to hear your story, and who needs to borrow a little bit of your faith. Let's pray. God, we depend on you. We cast our fears on you. God, when we turn, turn off the five o'clock news and we don't know what to do with a world in chaos, or when we hang up the phone and we don't know what to do with a life in chaos, let us remember, God, that your salvation is true and we can dwell in the shelter of the Almighty.
God, we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen.